You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Michael Jackson off the wall. On the line, I have Rob. Hey, what's up? Ben. Woo! And Solange. All night. Off the Wall is the fifth solo studio album by the American singer-songwriter Michael Jackson, released on August 10th, 1979 by Epic Records. The producer was Quincy Jones, and the genre is disco, funk, pop, and R&B. I'm going to read from All Music Reviews, Stephen Thomas, Earl Wine. Michael Jackson had recorded solo prior to the release of Off the Wall in 1979, but this was his breakthrough, the album that established him as an artist of astonishing talent and a bright star in his own right. This was a visionary album, a record that found a way to break disco wide open into a new world where the beat was undeniable, but not the primary focus. It was part of a colorful tapestry of lush ballads and strings, smooth soul and pop, soft rock and alluring funk. Its roots harken back to the Jackson's huge mid-70s hit, Dancing Machine, but this is an enormously fresh record, one that remains vibrant and giddy, giddily exciting years after its release. This is certainly due to Jackson's emergence as a blindingly gifted vocalist, equally skilled with overwrought ballads of She's Out of My Life as driving dance floor shakers as Working Day and Night and Get on the Floor where his sides were as gripping as his delivery on the rhythmic hooks and indelible construction. Most of all, its success is due to the sound constructed by Jackson and producer Quincy Jones, a dazzling array of disco beats, funk guitars, clean mainstream pop, and unashamed and therefore affecting schmaltz that is utterly thrilling and is utterly joy. This is high professional, highly crafted music, and its details are evident but the overall effect is nothing but pure pleasure. Jackson and Jones expanded this approach on the blockbuster thriller, often with equally stunning results, but they never bettered it. All right, what do we think of Michael Jackson off the wall? I fucking love this album so much. Yeah. Love this album so much. This is a great album. So much fun. And like, I really loved Michael Jackson, you know, kind of like growing up, like I got into him when I was like, you know, adolescent, but you know, I like I like Thriller and I like um, Bad a lot, but it wasn't till like I heard Off the Wall that I really got to and Michael Jackson's work on the Sonic video games <laughs> that I got to know the wide range of just like genre bending talent. I would even say I know that he's not as musical in the way like practically that Stevie Wonder is, but I would definitely put him up there with Stevie Wonder in terms of like singer songwriter. Absolutely, I really like. Michael Jackson. I was actually thinking about that. Even though 
like I personally wouldn't be born for like another year and a half after this album comes out. I feel like Michael Jackson was the first, like as a kid, like the first music that I was really interested in. Like my, my very first record was thriller played it on a little Fisher, Fisher price record player as a kid. And, and it's kind of, it's the music that made me realize I liked music. So yeah, like revisiting off the wall, this uh this week i feel like i'm so biased i feel like i can't really even judge it with fair eyes because music's so important to me and michael jackson was my introduction to music uh yeah off the wall it's it's so funky and disco it is so funky it's such a Mm -hmm. fun album and even the ballads are fun like i i girlfriend is probably like my least favorite song but even then like that's still like just a nice soft like fun song and I don't have to get into how Michael Jackson wrote his music because it is really interesting if you know anything about Michael Jackson. But I just like I you hear him touch every part of this album. So I wanted to bring up for conversation how much credit you think uh, Quincy Jones has has in this. Oh, I think very little. I would say. Michael Jackson didn't know how to read music, didn't know how to write music. And he could like play guitar and like piano, like kind of, but not like well enough to do it himself. So what he would do is he would hear the song in his head, how he wanted it to sound. And he would sing the guitar part into a tape recorder, sing like the drum part into the tape recorder, take it into the studio play it for them and say, I need it to sound like this and then actively direct them to sound the way that he wanted to and to hit the notes he wanted to until what he heard in his head would match what was coming out on the song. And that's how Michael Jackson wrote his music. Yeah, makes sense. But Quincy Jones is integral into this. He's huge. That's true. Michael Jackson had... He literally four got albums Quincy. Before this one, but yeah. This is the first one to sound like this. And he literally dug up Quincy. I mean, not dug up. It's not like say, he, was, he was. He was <laughs> out of the. I want to know more about that picture. But he he wanted him. I mean, he wanted the creative freedom. He wanted to get out of the childhood uh, sort of spotlight. He absolutely was the same as uh, Stevie Wonder in that respect. Or even Marvin Gaye to maybe a lesser extent, but he wanted mm-hmm. less, he, he wanted to grow out of the adolescence and become a real artist, solo artist on his own. So yeah, I, I think he's brilliant in, um, in, in some of his song craft, his, his word, but it, it would not hit the way it does without Quincy Jones perfecting the sort of style that they're doing. Not to say it wasn't collaboration, but man, it, it, it'd be hard to, to find two other artists that were producer, songwriter, um, singer that were at the top of their game, um, you know, bringing this fresh sort of disco sound that was. Yeah, like I want to be clear. I don't genre. I don't hate Quincy jo- Jones. I think Quincy Jones is like incredible. And I think that he has real talent in the studio. I just uh, I just wonder, like, how much of it was Michael Jackson's like own creative process as I understand it to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can look at the production credits, which has Quincy Jones on every single track has Jackson on three. Don't stop till you get enough working day and night and get on the floor with Jackson. Not that that, that all is an ultimate, you know, 
Um, Let's say bold of you to assume I read the liner notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it tells a story. It tells the That's you know the, the writers, um, which we do have quite a few. You know, Rod uh, Temperton, uh, Paul McCartney on Girlfriend. I mean, it's what it's pretty of course, amazing. Of course, um, Wonder, that makes a like, lot of oh, sense. Of of course. Yeah. God, I, I knew there was a reason why that song kind of rankled me. <laughs> McCartney effect, buddy. Yeah. That sugary sweet. Well, like, now wh- I, now they... I hate it because I hate the Beatles. <laughs> when, did they, when did they do that collaboration? Uh, that was Thriller. Where the gir- doggone girl is mine is Thriller? Yeah. Okay. And when did Michael Jackson buy out the Beatles back catalog? <laughs> I think after that from under Paul McCartney. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Sometimes you get a little bit of money and you just have to buy the Beatles catalog and a whole ass amusement park for your house. He outbid Paul McCartney for their catalog. Like it was was brutal brutality. After Paul McCartney was talking about how much it, it, you know, it was, it's important to own your own music. It's important to own your music. (laughs) Great. I'll own your music. You know who's not broke? <laughs> you know who's not broke is Linda Easton McCartney. Yeah, it's true. It's not yeah, like they I, did that, but I think it was the principle of the thing of, you know, it kind of breaks a friendship when you someone buys something. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. From out under you when they obviously know that it means a lot to you. It's kind of like writing an album of love songs about your best friend George Harrison's wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, Similar. Very similar. Uh, what do you guys think this does for disco? I was thinking about that this week. Does it does it reinvigorate it? The dance? You no, know? I don't think it. I don't, I don't think it think does. So. Um, honestly, like, ugh, shit. Who the hell were we listening to a couple weeks ago? That was chic. super good disco. Chic, chic. Yeah, chic. Like, if, if I had to like pick between like putting on like off the wall or one of the chic records, I would go with the chic record. Really? Um, yeah, I, I, I would. Um, I think this isn't necessarily like reinvigorating disco. What I think it kind of does is it bridges the gap between what is like 70s music stylistically to what will become 80s music. I think it's got like, I mean, obviously like it's a disco record. It's got super disco, but I think in a lot of ways it kind of starts getting into that more like electronic heavy pop that you hear in the 80s. Yeah, leans a lot more pop. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that dis like disco, funk, R and B influenced pop that yeah was everywhere in the eighties. Um, is it working day and night? That sounds like uh, kind of exactly what Prince is gonna be doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that, that is some, that is some good pop funk. Yeah, it's it. It's really ramps up. I was gonna say that one and don't stop till you get enough. Um, and it does seem like the only uh, the only problem I have with the record flow is it does have a bit of the disco come down on side two. It has yes. it really yes. ramps up at the beginning. Yes, uh, gets you really excited, and it does have the, a little bit of the after party effect. Um, but it it does seem to taper off uh, close to the end. Oh. 
But yeah, who played uh, the witch in The Wiz? And was she the one that's cackling on the song that goes... <laughs> I don't... I'm not seeing it in the cast for some reason. Oh. Never seen no, The Wiz. So. Sorry. What if I told you I've also never seen The Wiz? Oh, great. <laughs> I was worried I was like... the only one on this podcast. Deep, deeply <laughs> uncool for a second. I tried to watch it and I just like I don't know I I just don't like The Wizard of Oz I just don't get it tell me a thing you do like <laughs> Michael Jackson okay <laughs> I do like Michael Jackson um I'm sorry but <laughs> I like things I, I assure everybody I like things contrary to probably what people who listen to this podcast think <laughs> I like things um it's it's Mabel King M- Mabel King plays the Wicked Witch of the West goodness gracious okay so that's cackling in one of these songs because why not why, why, why not put the wicked witch of the west and i mean if you already had access to a wicked witch cackling why not use it <laughs> that's what i'm saying this was the first album by a solo artist to generate four top 10 hits no what shit. are you mm-hmm. for real i am oh my god that's so wow. Like considering Stevie Wonder came like before him, I'm kind of like surprised by that. I am sure there's Stevie Wonder albums with four top thirty hits. But you said top ten. So now mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I guess it, that would be like Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, Rock With You, Working Day and Night, and then Probably Off the Wall, maybe. Or she's oh wait, well, she's out of my life as a single. So maybe those. I mean, I that wouldn't make sense. Has would would you have like released all four like a like four different disco ones? I assume you would want to do like a ballad to like break it up. I don't know how that works. I'm not, you know, but that would be kind of weird. They made it all the bangers. Singles. Don't stop till you get <gasps> enough. Rock with you off the wall, and she's out of my life. We're all the top. Uh she's out of my life. Mm-hmm. Yep. They did mm-hmm. release girlfriend after that, but um, I don't think it was the on the top. I think the problem though is. This gets into the era where they're pushing more singles. They're pushing an artist. Uh, it, it's less about the album, more about singles. This is this is the era that that starts that the '70s was about selling albums. Of course, the singles are still uh, radio hits. But yeah, if Stevie Wonder or Marvin Gaye or you know wanted to push these especially Stevie Wonder, if he wanted to push four singles, I bet he could have cracked the top 10. It's just that they didn't push it. In your opinion, what do you think caused this change in, you know, being focused on album album output to being focused on single output? Do you think it was a change in hardware? I, that doesn't sound right because singles never really caught on. I was about was to it, ask the same thing. Maybe music videos? I was about to ask, was it maybe because double albums, like we talked about how Tusk was, what, $60? Like, is it because albums were getting more expensive is what I would I would be curious about. Yeah, it had it had a bit to do with a, a lot of that. Um, also, it has to do with production. Um, so production mm. costs and creating a single, um, you can take a little bit more risk. Whereas an album, you have to have, you have to really sell it through a band. Singles can fly off the shelf. No problem. It's harken back to the fifties where they Mm -hmm. brought in players. They brought in an artist in in sort of the rise of pop stars. Well, in, you know, in, in cyclical, cyclical ways like that, we're back there. Like it was in the fifties and the eighties. And now like the emphasis is definitely on getting people together for the single. I thought, 
I think it, it, it's continued from the 90s, Britney Spears, you know, later Madonna. And it, it, it just has transitioned a lot that way, I think, too, because of radio play, internet, how and that works. It downloads you know, and streaming. Yeah, it's much easier to pitch in a dollar by, you know, mm-hmm. one one mm-hmm. song or something like that rather than try and pry away, you know, 15, 20 bucks for an album. But if you think about it, if you're like releasing singles, like you don't release all the singles at the same time. And I, uh, I'm glad you brought up like the 90s because uh, if you release the singles over time, that's just more ways to advertise the album itself. So even though you're like going away from, you know, having people buy the full album and like really investing on those singles, you can keep telling people like this is the single off of Michael Jackson's album like they did that with um um no doubt tragic kingdom which came out in 1995 and they were releasing singles for that album for three or like two or three years after that and you can keep just like grinding that out so people can uh you know if they haven't bought the album yet and they've just been buying the singles and they could go on and buy the album that you know, album didn't it, have a lot of singles it had so many singles <laughs> and mm-hmm. over time over years they didn't release another album till like 2000 because of that what were the B-sides on on these releases, and were they any good? I'm imagining yes, but were they album cuts, or was it a uh, little Let me extra? tell you. The B-side to Rock With You was Working Day and Night. Uh, oh, solid. The B-side to She's Out of My Life was Push Me Away with the Jacksons. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, the B-side to Don't Stop Till You Get Enough was I Can't Help It. B-side to Off the Wall was Get On the Floor. I'll be interested to hear that uh, that Jackson's one. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's interesting. It's a dual B-side with like like him and the Jacksons. I've never I've never heard of that with like a solo artist and like the group from whence from whence they came. Did you know that one of the Jacksons is Randy Jackson, but it's a different Randy Jackson? <laughs> weird yeah i uh i i had to do a double take today because randy jackson is credited with doing uh percussion on i think don't stop so you get enough and i was like oh no shit randy jackson's in there and i clicked into his profile and it's like yes the brother younger than michael i'm like whoa randy jackson is one of the jacksons but no no they're just both named randy jackson This did sell over 20 million copies, making it one of the best-selling albums of all time. Certified eight times platinum by the record um, uh, industry. And yeah, he did win a Grammy Award. However, he was not happy about that. He thought he should have won Album of the Year, but he instead uh, instead won the uh, for Vocalist of the, of the Year. He said that wouldn't happen again, though. Do you know who won album? What what beat it out? Do you know? Is it this is a good year? Is the soundtrack to Saturday Saturday Night Fever? Whoa! Oh okay. shit! Yeah, there it is. Uh, so various artists got album yeah. of the year. <laughs> this is like all t- twelve of them on stage, and they were like, "We did it, guys!" Which, which begs the wow. question: Why have we not talked about Saturday Night Fever? Is that 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 album, I guess, is just not going to be in here, which That's is strange. Very I would, I would. Uh, apparently, soundtracks that are not by one artist are not in the book. Yeah, that's what I was going to assume. 
if it yeah. if it was a soundtrack by one artist, just like Shaft. Yeah. Yeah. Superfly. Yeah, the abdominant uh, composers, artists. How many tracks on Saturday Night Fever are not Bee Gees? Like, do Bee Gees do the lion's share of it? It's it's accredited to you know Bee Gees for the most part, but it's not it's not purely them. That yeah, must be why? Because it's not. I don't know. I I personally think that soundtracks can be compelling if there are multiple artists. Uh, you know, just because it's an artistic. Just, it's an artistic decision that that one makes to include them, but maybe it's just not because it's on the part of like the musical artist. It's on part of like the film artist. You know what I mean? I think if it's an original soundtrack, maybe. But if it's like a compilation of previously released material, then no. I mean, yeah, there's four sides to the Saturday Night Fever. So the Bee Gees probably compose, you know, one and a half, two. Oh, Mallrat wow. has a great soundtrack, but it's just because whoever made it knew all these good songs and put them together. It's not like people were writing music for the movie, you know? Oh, no, I'm just saying my fingers are firmly crossed that the uh, soundtrack for Disorderlies will be in here because I know the Fat Boys did the entirety of that soundtrack. Oh, well, then it, it's viable. Uh, to bring back around, though, a lot of uh, people consider this the height of the disco era, like the very peak like right before disco sort of bit the dust uh, and became more integrated with pop music around the time of other landmarks like Saturday Night Fever, like Donna Summer's Bad Girls, and of course Cheek um, with their albums that we just covered. So it, it does make sense to me that this, because, I mean, as a as a youth, you hear Michael Jackson, I never associated this quite so closely to to stevie wonder and to disco era i always envisioned michael jackson as pop i don't know why it just it hadn't really connected it just was danceable pop music that infused these different things but yeah it's very closely related to that it's like you think more about him in terms of pop and i wonder if it's just because like bad and thriller were so they're just so iconic you know like thriller gave birth to a f- Halloween phenomenon, you know, like there's a, there's tradition around thriller. Um, and I wonder if that kind of has overshadowed the rest of his catalog. Cause uh, honestly, like I think Michael Jackson's 90s stuff is pretty great too. I think you're, you you hit something there where it's the longer an artist is on top, the more changes they're, they, they sort of have where, you know, a lot of people might not think of Madonna's earlier you know, albums there, they were sort of sem- seminal at the time, but a lot of people would maybe not reflect on those albums um, the same way that they do on the later ones, because he does have such a presence um, in striking imagery in those other ones. A lot of critics though, I, I didn't know they actually debated whether or not this or thriller is his best album. So right, right out the gate, a lot wow. of people consider this his best album uh, throughout his career, whereas some people, you know, obviously say Thriller um, just for uh, probably a lot with sales to alone. But I, I hadn't really considered, you know, what his best album is. But I guess this definitely is 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 close to the top. Yourself. Groove 
everybody's favorite song was off this out off this album because it's so the bangers are banging and even the like weaker songs are still really good too so i was just curious curious what everybody's favorite song was since a lot of us seem to really enjoy this album a whole lot you know i know for me i'd have a hard time picking just one i always come back to don't stop till you get enough i love that song and then it's like as long as that song's playing side one just doesn't stop there's don't stop till you get enough into rock with you into working day and night and to get on the floor that's my favorite track. <laughs> but if I had to pick one of them, uh, don't stop till you get enough. I'd go working day and night. I would probably go working day and night, but it's hard. It, it, you're right, Ben. The, the first sort of just out the gate, it just kind of blows you away um, with the, these, di- these different tracks. I did think it was interesting, too, that a lot of a lot of this reminded me I hadn't again, I hadn't put in the context of how closely he was to, you know, Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder. I, I, you know, he's still a kid at this time, but mm-hmm. in terms of album releases, you know, we're we're just a, a year or two, you know, difference between this album and, and those albums. And I, it really made me think about how Stevie Wonder, this almost just sounds like someone sped up Stevie wonder by 10 to 20% and just, and just, uh, and just kicked it off. I mean, any one of these tracks just sounds like Stevie wonder and you just turn the speed up, uh, and, and put in a little more, little more polish and, and a little more production in it. And it just, it's, it's that I've never, Let's I've never thought of that record and play it on 45. See if yeah. it sounds like a Jackson record. Yeah. See if we can keep the tone. I didn't say what my favorite song was off this album. I, I think I know. And I think it's rock with you. I love that song. I love that. That just tasty little drum intro. The I love. I, oh, I love the, the little like MIDI trumpet. Like, like, uh, I love that. I love that stuff. But I love a good MIDI trumpet. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say about Off the Wall other than I like it a lot. (laughs) For me, it's so hard to it's so hard to talk about an album you like. You know, like I know Rob was like, do you like anything? Do you hate everything? And And it's true. I do like things, but I find it so hard for me to like. It's challenging to discuss like what I like about an album, you know, why it's yeah. so resonate resonant with me, um, especially something like this that, you know, it's easy for me to talk about why I like CV Wonder because of his lyrics with Michael Jackson. I'm like, it's all about the musicality for me. You know, it's all about that kind of thing. And the, and to be honest, the music videos, I love it. I love Michael Jackson's music videos. But yeah, it's hard for me to talk about why I love musicality. When they were talking about the album cover for this. I mean, pretty iconic album cover uh, as all his album covers, but they wanted to mock it up. And the original album cover was him sitting by a little log uh, campfire with children's clothes on where he looks like an ad for Sears for the (laughs) for the children's department at Sears. And and the production was just like they were like no no we can't do that and that's what Michael's agent wanted to do they wanted to put this real soft you know uh, style on and the photographer uh, art director came in and said no we're putting him in like black black and white you know tuxedo against a brick wall like it's gonna 
it's going to be flashy. It's going to, you know, have have a little bit. Uh, and they were kind of arguing about it. And Michael stepped in the room and he he listened to the, both sides and he said, yeah, let's go with the tuxedo. Only one change. I have to wear white shoe or white socks. <laughs> That's why he's got white socks with the with the black suit, which became kind of iconic. Oh, yeah. It's like a fashion faux pas, but he owns it and it's iconic. And I could be wrong, but I think he like he was doing it so you could see his feet better for dance moves. Yeah. You know, it is better. Oh, contract. Smart. Yeah, that's smart. It's almost like symbolic too. you know, like you talk about how they wanted him to be in like children's clothes. It's like this is the uh, this is a grown up Michael. Michael, all grown up adult Michael. Uh, oh, yeah. I was going to mention, too, the the chorus uh, for uh, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough is one of the most misheard vocal lines ever. Do you guys what actually know what it what he's saying? Not a no. No, no, no idea. No. <laughs> when the force gets tough, don't stop till you get right. It's pretty close. <laughs> Keep up with the force. Don't stop <gasps> till you get enough. Uh, Jackson may have been inspired by the 1977 Star Wars movie, uh, which of popularized course. the concept of the force. So is it keep up with, with the fourth the force. don't don't stop to like does he double the don't because there's a syllable like, keep up with the fourth don't don't stop yeah. again enough yeah I believe he he doubles up his little vocalization there um, also I was going to mention Chris Tucker sings karaoke to the song in the movie Rush Hour two Tucker and Jackson <laughs> were good friends after Jackson saw the film. He called to let Tucker know that he was doing the dance incorrectly. He was kicking with the wrong leg. <laughs> oh, a man about details. For That's real, what though. you get for practicing in the mirror. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I don't think we need to go around the room. Uh, is there everybody's on the positive on this? Yeah, oh, completely. A, absolutely. Listen to this album. If you've only heard Quality thriller record. or bad, listen to this album. Yeah. Amazing album. I mean, it's just going mm-hmm. going to go up and up for for Michael after this. Next time we we'll be talking about the damned machine gun etiquette. All right, thank you.